Let me explain what I aim to accomplish in my lectures for this module. Dr. Cassidy is an astute reformed interpreter and critic of Karl Barth, and he is working on a much needed volume on Van Til's critique of Karl Barth. Therefore, in light of that, I want to acknowledge with gratitude up front that he's doing the lion's share of work precisely along those lines for this module, and I am at best ancillary, uh, a supplement to him in this regard. Now, what I want to do, and I believe I'm making something of a contribution along these lines, is map out a comprehensive summary of the deeper Protestant conception of Voss's theology of special creation, enriched by theologians such as M.G. Klein, Herman Bovink, Herman Ritterboss, and set that comprehensively in contrast to Karl Barth's doctrine of creation centered on the Word of God, Jesus Christ. That will be the bulk of my few hours of lecture for this module. But in my concluding observations, just to give you a, a hint of where this is going to go, I will point out from Van Til's own work, his own assessment of Karl Barth and transcendental Thomism in the work of theologians such as Rahner and Kuhn, and how the two schools share affinities in their assistance that the gracious event of the Incarnation is necessary even before man's fall into sin in order to solve an ontological problem inherent in man. I'll then urge you to consider the work of another astute confessional reformed interpreter and critic of Karl Rahner in the work of Dr. Busey. The work of Dr. Cassidy and Dr. Busey have turned up significant theological affinities between Bart and transcendental Thomas, affinities that were flagged in the earlier work, both of Cornelius Van Til and Robert Strimple. Now, let me begin the lecture now in earnest. I want to begin my lectures by observing and establishing the cosmic context that situates anthropology in a confessionally reformed theology of creation. I want to frame the way the creation of heaven and earth, the upper and lower registers, in the absolute beginning, bear on the special creation of Adam as the image of God in the covenant of works before the fall. And the reason I start with this cosmic orientation turns on two main considerations. First, the Bible itself, well before contemplating the creation of man, frames the creation of the invisible heavens and the visible earth in the absolute beginning of Genesis 1-1. The concern of Genesis 1-1 is the glory of God, not the redemption or reconciliation of man. And what Genesis 1-1 and related texts reveal to us is the glory of the triune God that fills the heaven temple with the concrete effulgence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the beatitude of elect men and angels. That's a foundational 
and fundamental starting point, the creation of the heavens and the earth, the invisible heavens and the visible earth in the absolute beginning as the context for the creation and formation of man as the image of God in a covenant of works and all that it entails. Second, another main reason for beginning here is that Karl Barth in his church dogmatics self-consciously rejects the cosmology of Genesis 1-1, identifies it with corrupted pagan myth that has infected the witness to the Word of God in the Scriptures, and in its place, he turns us to the Word of God, to Jesus Christ Himself. Heaven corresponds to God, earth corresponds to man, as each are witnesses to the primordial event of Jesus Christ. And so there is a fundamental, sustained, and comprehensive antithesis between the confessionally reformed understanding of Genesis 1-1 as enriched by the work of Voss and Klein and Ritterboss and others on the one side, and Genesis 1-1 understood as a witness to the primordial event of Jesus Christ on the other in the theology of Karl Barth. And I want to be explicit up front that in these first couple of lectures, I'm appropriating a biblical theological method in the tradition of Gerhardus Voss, the father of Reformed biblical theology, in setting forth a comprehensive cosmic and covenantal alternative to the Christ event of Karl Barth. You need to reflect on that just for a moment. Van Til offered wonderful, penetrating, systematic theological critiques of Karl Barth, which have been extended in the lectures by Dr. Robert Strimple in the 90s and in the lectures that Dr. Cassidy has given to inaugurate this module. Uh, penetrating lectures by both. And, and that systematic theological work is vital as we continue to lay bare Barth's, uh, Barth's stunning and self-conscious departure from historic Reformed orthodoxy. Now what I want to do here is enrich these critiques using a biblical theological method that focuses on the unfolding history of special revelation beginning with Genesis 1.1 and looking at biblical cosmology, special creation, the covenant of works, and integrating those insights into a large-scale theological critique of Karl Barth. I will use the work of Herman Ritterboss and M.G. Klein in larger part to develop a totalizing, cosmic, anthropological, and covenantal alternative to Barth's theology of the Word of God, the transcendent historical time event he calls Jesus Christ. So in these first two lectures, I want to begin by offering this comprehensive, integrated theological starting point when it comes to creation in the absolute beginning and the bearing of Genesis 1-1 and related texts on 
cosmology, anthropology, and the covenant of works. And these first two lectures are going to be on the indoxation of the Spirit in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning and the incoronation of the eternal Son in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. And this will be a compressed and somewhat reorganized expression of material that I've lectured on at the 2021 and 2022 Reform Forum conferences. Here's a five-point encapsulation of the argument. First, the immutable persons of the Holy Trinity indwell one another in relations of personal coherence or perichoresis which is the beatitude of the one God who exists forever as three co-equal and co-inherent persons. Second, the living and immutable person of the Spirit fills the heaven temple with triune glory and sanctifies the heaven temple as the place of beatitude for elect men and angels in the absolute beginning. Genesis 1.1. Third, the living and immutable person of the Son is enthroned at the Father's right hand in the heaven temple, thereby regalizing it as the place of beatitude for elect men and angels. The Spirit will sanctify the heaven temple. The Son will regalize the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. Fourth, indoxation and incoronation are the initial creational replication of Trinitarian perichoresis in the upper register, in the heaven temple, the place of worship, rest, and creaturely beatitude. Fifth, the realm of the indoxate spirit and incarnate son is the eschatological telos for image-bearing Adam and his posterity under the covenant of works. That's a five-point summary of this alternative to what we will see in Bart's Christ event. It encapsulates both the foundational insights of confessional Reformed theology as enriched by the biblical theological method and insights of Voss, Klein, Ritterboss, and others. Now, for pedagogical purposes, I'm going to begin with the indoxation of the Spirit, since it is this insight of Klein's, particularly in God, Heaven, and Armageddon, that gives initial momentum to what I'm developing in a more systematic way than Klein. And the bearing of all this on Bart will be explicit as the lecture unfolds. So, I want to start by talking about the reality of the indoxation of the Holy Spirit and what we're going to call here the Heaven Temple. The indoxation of the Holy Spirit in the Heaven Temple in the absolute beginning. The starting point for grasping the doctrine of the indoxation of the Holy Spirit in the heaven temple is 
to remember Klein's teaching about the creation of the invisible heaven and the visible earth in the absolute beginning of Genesis 1-1. In the absolute beginning, God created heaven as a royal temple dwelling and filled it with angels devoted to his endless worship and praise. The heaven temple forms the permanent dwelling place of the Father and the Son in the glory of the Holy Spirit, and the presence of the triune God sanctifies that realm as a holy dwelling place. As Klein says in God, Heaven, and Armageddon, because heaven's king is the Lord God, the thrice holy one, Isaiah 6, 3, Revelation 4, 8, whose presence sanctifies a place, the royal house of heaven is at the same time a holy house, a temple. And so heaven is a holy temple dwelling of God distinct from the earth in the absolute beginning. Nehemiah 9.6, commenting on Genesis 1.1, speaks of the creation of the heaven of heaven, the highest heaven, and the host of heaven worships the glory of God in that holy place. And that heavenly realm is distinguished from the earth and all that is on it. The earth, remember, is a formless void formed and filled from Genesis 2 to the end of Genesis one thirty one. Heaven is filled with an angelic host in an instant, in a moment, in the absolute beginning, and filled with the glory of God that they worship. Psalm 104 verses 1 through 2 says of the Lord, You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens as a tent. The Lord is robed in the splendor and majesty of His being and covered with light as a garment. He dwells in the heavens as a tent. And this, in part, is the background of Hebrews 8.5, referring to heaven as an archetypal tent dwelling of God. That the theocratic temple, uh, theocratic tabernacle on earth is a copy and a shadow. Klein notes parallel statements in Psalm 11.4 that locates the throne of God in the heavenly temple of God. The text reads, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. You see, the texts that we've looked at, Genesis 1.1, interpreted in the light of Nehemiah 9.6, Psalm 104, 1-2, and Psalm 11, 1-4, reminds us that this is a cosmology taught in the Old Testament Scripture that is of supreme structural significance for a history of special revelation. Isaiah 6, 1-7 portrays heaven as a royal chamber and a holy temple. When Isaiah the prophet, by the supernatural agency of the Spirit of God, sees in heaven the Lord seated on a throne and the train of His robe fills 
that heaven temple with the holiness and glory of his presence and living seraphim encircle him in endless worship and wonder. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah did not look into the copy and shadow of heaven, but in to the invisible heavens created in the absolute beginning. And there, the train of God's robe fills the temple. There, smoke fills that holy realm. There, living seraphim encircle God in worship and praise. And the thresholds shake at His voice and presence. And He says, My eyes have seen the King." the Lord of hosts. This is not only taught in the Old Testament, but in the Apocalypse of John. Revelation 4, 1-8, through 8, John sees a door standing open in heaven and a throne standing in heaven with one seated on it. Verses 1 and 3, And around the throne on each side are the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. And, verse 8, They circle the ascended one. Christ, and cry out, echoing Isaiah 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. The living creatures encircle the crucified and ascended Christ, who has entered into the heaven temple, taken his seat on the throne, and receives the worship of the heavenly host and his covenant people, the church. The history of heaven has advanced to the point that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, fulfilling Psalm 24, has entered into that eternal kingdom to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven to receive worship and give peace to His church. This is a consistently revealed cosmology taught in Scripture where the heaven temple, in light of Genesis 1-1, Nehemiah 9-6, Psalm 104, 1-2, Psalm 11-4, Isaiah 6, 1-7, Revelation 4, 1-8, it is the realm of worship and glory, beatitude and rest for elect angels and men. Now the concept of the indexation of the Spirit, what Klein develops in God, Heaven, and Armageddon regarding the indexation of the Spirit, the concept is this, that in the absolute beginning, when the heaven temple was created as the permanent dwelling place of the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father and the Son, filled that realm in what Klein calls, quote, an epiphany of the Spirit. God, Heaven, and Armageddon, page 13. The glory spirit, the indexation of the glory spirit, is an epiphany in heaven. An epiphany is a supernal revelation of God in the upper register, in the invisible heavens, in the heaven temple. It is a, it is a disclosure 
of the triune glory of God by the Spirit in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. Klein goes on to say, as an epiphany, the glory that constitutes heaven is identifiable with God. At the same time, this glory epiphany is a created phenomenon. What is he saying? He's saying this, that heaven is the perfect translucent glory realm for the fullness of the Spirit self-revelation. For the fullness of the Spirit revealing the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son in a realm sanctified for worship and beatitude. The glory spirit epiphany in heaven is the presence of God in the media of creation. The absolute and immutable triune God by the Spirit discloses His glory in an epiphany, a supernal heavenly revelation. So note this well, before forming and filling the earth, Genesis 1, 2 through 31, before creating man in his image and likeness, 126 through 28, then 2, 7, and 2.17 and following. Before relating to the earth in forming and filling, Klein argues that in the absolute beginning, in heaven, there was, quote, an epiphanation of the Spirit, the glory manifestation of the Spirit, the permanent manifestation of God, an eternally enduring epiphany for the glory heaven has no ending but only a consummation. What he's saying is that there is from the outset inherent to a biblical cosmology taught in scripture a primal significance assigned to the self-revelation of the immutable person of the spirit in the heaven temple. He calls it an epiphany that brings into view the glory of the Father and Son in the resplendent light and life, light and life of the Spirit. The glory epiphany of the Spirit that filled heaven with the glory of the triune God has an absolute beginning in time. And he says, Klein says further, that epiphany is a permanent embodiment of a person of the Godhead in a created entity. The person of the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son permanently indwells the heaven temple and fills it with the glory of the Father and the Son and populates it with an angelic host devoted to the worship of the triune God. Before the glory of God in the Spirit came to dwell on earth, it dwelled first in heaven. And Klein says we call this original, primal, epiphany of the Spirit the indoxation of the Spirit. He says in God, Heaven, and Armageddon, to coin a phrase for the Spirit epiphany, the revelation of the Spirit's glory in heaven, we shall call it the indoxation of the Spirit. This event in heaven, in the absolute beginning, forges a 
personal and permanent relation of the Spirit to this heavenly dwelling place. And it sanctifies, indoxation, sanctifies heaven as a temple dwelling. Now let me comment on this and use a dogmatic term that will prove useful, particularly as we clarify the nature of the relation of the Spirit to heaven in the absolute beginning. I'll use language that Voss uses from RD1-178 about a new relation to creation. Voss is speaking especially of the creation of the heavens and earth, and Klein is being more specific now. But in the absolute beginning, the Holy Spirit forged a new relation to the heaven temple. In this new relation to the heaven temple, the relation changes, the creatures in the relation change, but the person of the Holy Spirit does not change because He is self-contained, immutable, and living from all eternity, as is the Father, as is the Son. So in the work of creation, there is a new relation of a personal and permanent variety so that the terminal work of the Spirit consists in dwelling the heaven temple and filling it with the unchanging glory of the Father and the Son. And this leads him, I'm, not, I'm convinced Klein wasn't thinking directly about the theology of Karl Barth, but this is going to be so applicable to Barth and what we'll see he teaches. He says this, the glory manifestation, it, this leads Klein to make a comparison between the indoxation of the Spirit in heaven, in Genesis 1-1, and the incarnation of Jesus Christ on earth in the fullness of time, Galatians 4-4. He says this, The glory manifestation of the Spirit and the incarnation of the Son are alike in that each is a permanent embodiment of a person of the Godhead in a created entity, the epiphanic glory and the human nature, respectively. Indoxation is a terminal act of the third person of the Trinity, relating personally and permanently to the heaven temple in the absolute beginning of Genesis 1-1. The incarnation is the terminal act of a second person of, of the second person of the Trinity, relating personally and permanently to his assumed humanity in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4. And as Voss insists, the person of the Logos remains immutable and self-contained in the act of the hypostatic union. The Spirit likewise remains immutable in his relation to heaven. But when it comes, and this is so critical to appreciate, listen to this, when it comes to the relation between indoxation in Genesis 1-1 and Galatians 4-4 and the incarnation of the Son on earth in the fullness of time, Klein says this, the indoxation of the Spirit has the primacy. It has the primacy in terms of the unfolding of the history 
of special revelation. When you follow a biblical theological method, Klein is saying the indoxation of the Spirit in Genesis 1.1 has primacy over the incarnation of the Son on earth in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4. Why? Klein, as a tried and true Vossian, insists that eschatology precedes soteriology. And he says this, Redemption, answering the question, why is the indoxation of the Spirit, why does it have primacy to incarnation? He says, Redemption is subordinate to revelation. In particular, the revelation of the divine glory. We are once again bound to affirm the primacy of the revelation of God over redemption viewed as a soteriological program. Simply because of the fact that teleologically the glory of God outranks the salvation of man and everything else. God, Heaven, and Armageddon, page 14. Listen, and this will, be, this will bear directly on Bart. The glory of God, not the salvation of man, is primary. Indoxation, as a theological conception, centers the glory of the Father and the Son in the indwelling of the Spirit in the heaven temple as the end and goal of all creatures. All creatures are to glorify and worship this living, immutable, self-contained trinity. Indoxation prioritizes the revelation of the glory of God over the redemption and salvation of man because it's moving, listen, it's moving in terms of an unfolding history of direct special revelation. All forms of theology that center incarnation, whether it is the sacerdotal variety of Karl Rahner or the dialectical variety of Karl Barth, compromises the God-centered character of the Christian religion and shifts the concern to a man-centered feature. It is inexorable. And Bart himself, you will be stunned to learn, admits this explicitly. We'll look at that later. But indoxation is the beginning of what Klein will call the history of heaven. You see, the biblical theological method of Gerhardus Voss opens us up for a history of heaven, a history of revelation that has heaven at its center. And the movement is therefore a chronological, historical movement. But Klein, in a stunning way, pushes further to inquire into the Trinitarian basis for the indoxation of the Spirit. And he says, in back of this, you have the ontological trinity in relations of subsistence 
and coherence. Now, the coherence is my language to describe what Klein calls personal, interpersonal dynamics, but let me explain. And this is really a, a profound insight from Klein. Klein is explicit that, that, that God has an independent, living, and immutable being apart from and prior to his relation to creation. Klein is explicit, then, that there is an ontological ground in the Trinitarian processions for the indexation of the Spirit dwelling in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. There is a connection, then, between the ontological trinity, Trinitarian processions, relations of subsistence and coherence, and the economic work of the Trinity, those works that terminate outside of the Trinity in heaven, Klein is integrating, while distinguishing, ontological and economic aspects of the Spirit. He says explicitly that the indoxate Spirit is, quote, a creational revelation of the glory of God. Hard pause. What does he mean? He means that when he speaks of the Spirit of the Father and the Son dwelling in heaven, in the absolute beginning. It is the initial creational replication of the ontological trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in relations of subsistence and coherence from all eternity. Picking back up on his quote. Before and apart from creation, Expression of the divine glory is also central in forms of subsistence of the second and third persons within the triune Godhead. The indoxation of the Spirit and the incarnation of the Son represent a creational continuation of these eternal, intratrinitarian, interpersonal dynamics. Within the realm of creation, each affords a resplendent revelation of God's being, each is a glorious image of the divine being. Now, in Klein, Klein's argument at its core, if I can summarize it, is that the relations of subsistence and the relations of coherence provide the unique Trinitarian ground for this doctrine of indoxation. When we talk about forms of subsistence, that quote from Klein is on page 14 of God, Heaven, and Armageddon. When we talk about forms of subsistence, what are forms of subsistence? Relations of Trinitarian persons to the undivided essence of God. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is begotten of the Father. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But each person, as such subsists entirely and without remainder as the living and true God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so these relations of subsistence remind us that while there are ordered relations of procession within the Trinity, the Father begets the person of the Son, and the, and the Father and the Son 
um, spirate the person of the Spirit. While that is the case, each person is fully and without remainder God in himself, subsists as the divine essence, is distinct from the other persons, so that there is an undivided essential unity common to each person within these processional relations of personal origin. So, when you think about the relations of subsistence, this is the clearest way I know how Klein could have put it. Prior to and apart from relation to creation, God has a self-contained, immutable, and living being, and each person is, without remainder, this God. And that remains unmodified in God's relation to creation. God relates to creation as the immutable and living triune God. And that is the glory that permeates by revelation the heaven temple. Creation, according to what Klein is saying in Genesis 1-1, the creation of heaven and the indoxation of the Spirit is a creational revelation of the glory of God from before the foundation of the world. There is one uncreated and essential glory that fills the heaven temple so that in created media, God makes his glory as the self-contained trinity known to creatures. But now for the purpose of indoxation, Klein speaks, and I think this is his, his concern, of the eternal intra-trinitarian personal dynamics as well. Uh, relations of subsistence denote person in relation to essence. Relations of coherence denote relation of person to person. And these are especially relations of indwelling relations of indwelling. Not only do Trinitarian persons subsist as the entire essence of God, but in terms of intra-Trinitarian personal dynamics, they indwell one another. Francis Turretin, as an exemplar of the classical Reformed tradition when it comes to these relations of coherence, says that there is an intimate mutual union of the persons that consists in a personal embrace and a mutual permeation. Trinitarian persons relate to one another in a manner that invokes analogically the notion of communion. They are entirely interior to one another and dwell one another and embrace one another. And the personal embrace and mutual permeation of ah, say, Trinitarian persons 
is the beatitude of the Trinity. Persons indwelling persons within the undivided unity of the essence without losing their personal identities, without conflating their personal properties. This personal indwelling of Trinitarian persons, this is Klein's point, in mutual delight and beatitude is the Trinitarian ground for the personal indwelling of the Spirit of the Father and the Son in the heaven temple. Let me put it simply. The indwelling of Trinitarian persons in relations of coherence is the condition for the possibility of Trinitarian persons indwelling holy space in heaven or on earth. The creation of the heaven temple is the initial creational replication of Trinitarian perichoresis, where person dwells in person in infinite and eternal beatitude. So it is in indoxation you find immutable Trinitarian persons dwelling in the heaven temple for the delight and beatitude of elect men and angels. Now, when we say this, then, the mutual indwelling and the personal permeation of perichoresis, finding its initial creational um, expression when the Spirit of the Father and Son indwells and sanctifies the heaven temple, this is a revelational cosmology that structures the history of heaven and earth. This is a fundamental cosmic theological paradigm that runs from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, as we've seen in our survey. And I want you to appreciate then that there is a rich integration of the dogmatic theology of the Trinity and the history of heaven. Traditional Reformed Trinitarian theology, theology proper, is integrated by Klein into a history of heaven that consists in its alpha point of the indoxation of the Spirit and the sanctifying of heaven as a realm of worship, beatitude, and rest for creatures. But we're going to have to move one step further and relate the indoxation of the Spirit in the heaven temple to the incoronation of the Son, unincarnate, logos asarkos, self-contained, immutable, living, and eternal person of the Son, is incoronate in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. And it is in terms of this reality, an incarnate son, that we take one step further in our development of what it means for the self-contained ontological trinity to reveal the glory of the Spirit, the glory of the Son, and the glory of the Father directly in the heaven temple in the absolute beginning.